my worst day on my own is pretty much better than any prior day I had in corporate America. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with business growth coach Ethan Chazen. In today's episode, you will learn the importance of fostering relationships, understand the value of seeking help, and acquiring the techniques to ask even when it feels difficult. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Ethan Chazen. Ethan is a performance improvement coach and change management consultant. His unique value proposition is he specializes in working with clients to improve their people's performance, productivity, and profitability through training, coaching, and culture consulting. Ethan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, David. Tell me a little bit about your experience being a corporate refugee. (laughs) First of all, I, I, I love the title. It's much deserved and much earned. So I went to university convinced that I would be the next advertising marketing guru. I graduated with a degree in advertising, went into the workforce in 1990, uh, got my MBA in marketing along the way and spent 20 years in organizational corporate environments working to lead their product development marketing initiatives and um, discovered something along the way that in corporate America, there are certain functions or roles that one serves that are deemed not to be of necessarily that much value, but are perceived to be cost. And unfortunately, I learned during my 20 years in corporate America that marketing, my chosen vocation, was one of them. So I transitioned about 13 years from working in organizational corporate settings to going out on my own and working on a day-in, day-out basis to help individuals and organizations to pretty much figure out what they want to be and to achieve their short and long-term goals, focusing on people development. My worst day on my own is pretty much better than any prior day I had in corporate America. So we'll just leave it at that. I love that. Ethan, what did you tell people about your transition immediately after you left your job? Oh, it was easy. I was downsized. And as typically happens by one of two large organizations that were merging and they had to make their balance sheets look more appealing. So they laid me off as well as tens of thousands of other folks. I think it's, to be honest, David, what I told them was I was transitioning uh, due to corporate downsizing, but it's a lot easier to verbalize that than it is to avoid all the potential damage you can do to yourself because of the negative head trash. And that takes a lot more experience. So I guess I was fortunate I was downsized quite a bit. Tell me a little bit about that, the head trash, the negative head trash. 
Oh, yeah. I apologize to the listeners of our audience that may not be familiar with that psychological term. We know that most of what everybody says to themselves is not positive, but unfortunately negative. In the world of being downsized, you naturally, instinctively go to what's wrong with me. What did I do? Or what did I not do? And in my coaching practice, I consult with people at any stage of their career to say, listen, this is going to happen to you. The average American, she or he or they, change jobs between eight to 10 times by the time they're 35. So the sooner you not say these horrible things to yourself, but realize that it's organically a part of the 20th century corporate model, don't blame yourself. Don't label yourself, but understand the value you bring and move on. And it's a lot easier said than done. So how does that translate into what you tell other people about your transition or what you don't tell them? I naturally gravitate to the silver lining. And what I mean by that is the opportunity that presented itself to me to go out on my own was predicated on sometimes needing that gentle nudge. And my gentle nudge was being downsized when I was, and also having been downsized previously to know that I was not ever going to go back into a corporate environment again. So it gave me the background, the ammunition, the fortitude to say, this is a scarier path going out on your own, but it's imminently more rewarding. So you, the thing I would suggest to our audience, those people who are forced to do this or are thinking about doing it, whether you're in early in your career or at any stage thereafter, surround yourself with positive people and not those people in your family or circle of friends who are literally going to kill you with kindness by saying, do you really think, Ethan, this is the time to do it? Is now the best time? Don't you want to go get another job that's a little bit more, quote unquote, stable? And really surround yourself with that small circle of people who understand your value and can can be there for you and also helpfully to make introductions. Yeah. How did you find those people? They're the people who do stay with you versus the people who don't. They are the people who check in with you. How are you doing? They are the people who ask you, can you please give me a write-up of what ideally you're looking for in your next chapter and go about proactively finding those opportunities in their respective networks to make introductions. They're the ones who say, let's go out for coffee, or do you want to play pickleball? Come to my league. They're the people who are in your corner. And it's not, it's not the number of people who you're connected to on LinkedIn. Because you may be connected to thousands, but it's the four or five people that are there for you at 3 a.m., to talk to when you literally are having one of those low thresholds in the roller coaster of your next career search. So again, relationships are everything in your personal and professional circles. So did you have those four or five people in your circle when you got pushed out? I was extremely fortunate in that I had people who I could count on who were there for me personally, professionally, that they had worked with me worked for me or I had worked for them. And they knew the value of what I had to deliver and bring to the table and worked extremely hard. Um, We call it, Seth Godin calls it your tribe, the tribe of people who were there for me and knew me and promoted me. You could count on one hand, but I I knew enough to cultivate those relationships early on in my career. Okay. And what kinds of people were they? Were they professional colleagues? Were they 
people you knew from other parts of your life? Yes, there were people who, and this is why when I coach other other people who are going through this, to kind of think about those potential people to be in your corner. They may be family or friends. They may be friends of family, family of friends, their coworkers, their peers who've done volunteer work with you or are active in your communities that you live in. There are people who share your interests or who have been in clubs with you. I mean, you think about all those collective groups of stakeholders in your personal and professional spheres and really whittle it down to those people who get you. And then as a career transitioner, as a career seeker, job seeker, it's your job to keep those people in your life. It's not their job. And keep in touch and don't let those relationships dwindle and keep educating them or informing them where you are, because those are the relationships that will be valuable for you throughout your your professional career. Let's talk a little bit about that. what you just said with regard to is your job to maintain those relationships and to reach out to these people. When you were going through your toughest times in your transition from employment to being self-employed, how did, did you feel at any point like you were imposing on them by constantly reaching out? Always. And, and anybody who tells you otherwise is lying. It's a natural tendency because, again, with head trash and self-doubt, you're already you can be emotionally at a low point or, or periodically get kind of down. So of course you're thinking, well, I'm unemployed. They are employed. I'm sure other people are going to them. I don't be, I don't want to be one of those people who are going to them, but, but let me beg those folks who are actually hearing this to reconsider that mindset. And I would suggest instead, gently, I would suggest that those relationships you cultivate are reciprocal, meaning, you know, givers gain. Other people will benefit from your relationship as well. And every individual is going to go through, for the most part, every individual will go through a similar experience. They may be on the other side at some point. You may be able to help them. But that's why you've developed the relationship. And I just really urge people not to get so focused on the negative baggage that they're afraid to reach out because they don't want to be perceived as being needy or putting other people in an awkward situation Now's not the time to think about that. Now's the time to take advantage of those relationship seeds that you cultivated into a crop of really good, strong connections. Yeah, that's a really important point. And thank you for mentioning that because it's, I think, way too often that, uh, especially if you're in a space where the negative head trash is going on and there's a lot of self-doubt, picking up the phone and calling somebody, even though you may have a relationship with them, but picking up the phone and reaching out and asking for help is not so easy. It's not easy at all. And I, we're, we're not going to say we understand every person's unique circumstances. We're all unique. But as a broad generalization, most of the people that I've spoken to, most of the people in my personal professional lives, most of the people I've coached and I've worked with over 15,000 people, they all share that commonality, which is that self-doubt. And that fear and that that feeling of lacking of something that puts them in a position where they're not worthy and therefore they don't want to reach out. And I've had that happen to me in my 20s, 30s, 40s, and guess what? In my 50s. So I guess I'm imminently qualified to speak to anybody listening that you really need to get over your own 
negative self-loathing. And now more than ever, when you need people the most is when you need to kind of reach out to them. Don't, don't hesitate. Do not hesitate. So much of what we're dealing with, if we don't communicate and socialize it, we're internalizing it. It becomes this negative thought process. And trust me when I say this personal experience, it will get in your way of having a successful search. It will manifest itself in terms of when you do attempt or are forced to connect. It'll come out during interviews. It'll, it'll come out. So really, really figure out a way to verbalize to other people that you need their help. Yeah. Are there any techniques or frameworks that you've used that you have found helpful when you're feeling self-doubt and you know that reaching out to people that are likely going to be helpful, when you know that reaching out is important to do, but it's hard. So are there any, any tips you can offer about things you've done that have made it easier for for you to pick up the phone and make those calls or send somebody a text or an email, set up a coffee, et cetera. There are absolutely, thank you, David, for asking, because there are a few techniques that are pretty, pretty proven. The first is if you are the kind of person who's a little bit introverted and I'm extremely introverted, finding a way to meet other people in terms of personalities that are different than yours and how to communicate differently, but pushing yourself into discomfort a little bit to communicate with them more closely to where they are from a personality and relationship standpoint. The second is being of service. Even if you're between positions or going back to the workforce or career transitioning, you always have things that can be of value to others. So think about serving and so it's as simple as, hey, you know, David, I was thinking about you the other day because maybe I read an article or a top 10 best practices for effective podcasts and sharing that and saying, oh, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned to you since we spoke last, I'm still in a search mode, would, would love to just pick your brain, being a resident expert on interviewing other people. Do you have some time for coffee or maybe a virtual 15 minute huddle up? So what I've just done is I've matched your needs and your background and what you do with being of service to you and also meeting you in terms of personality and your preferred style of communication more closely to where you are. The other thing is do not ever, ever ask somebody the following. Can you help me find a job? Or do you know of anybody who can help me? No, your job is educating and informing other people how they can help you with a narrowly constructed search. So you better identify your ideal opportunity by three to four industries that you're interested in, maybe a handful of top organizations at each, and you craft a compelling two to three sentence unique value proposition of what that ideal role is in those ideal organizations. And that's your job to keep those few people in your corner educated to what would be an ideal fit. Do not look for a job going to Indeed or LinkedIn or CareerBuilder. Do not. It is a black hole which will create tremendous negative thoughts. Instead of looking for a job, look for people who are in a position to help you find an ideal opportunity that's customized to you, your passions, your strengths, your background, all those great things that make you unique invaluable and memorable. And Ethan, I find that that is true, whether you're look about obtaining another position as an employee or you're looking for a business opportunity as an entrepreneur. It's the same technique. 
perfectly stated. I, I couldn't state it any more eloquently. It is a universal truism of relationship building that we have to be of service to others. We have to truly understand the profile of people who fit our values, beliefs, background, interests in terms of potential employer, potential partner, any group of people or individuals that we want to connect with, we, we need to have to understand the universal humanistic needs. So let's let's use your value proposition as an example. You know, I, I mentioned it in the introduction, but I wondered if you could go into a little more detail about who specifically, like how do you describe who fits your ideal opportunity? Well, first of all, thank you for giving me the opportunity to kind of socialize the kind of organization that I feel I can be of maximum value to. So I've, as I mentioned, I was in the private sector for 20 years learning what not to do in any, almost any organizational environment. I then have spent the last 13 years working with over 750 organizations. So please, audience, trust me when I say the following. I can help pretty much any organization whether it's a for-profit in any industry or a nonprofit or government agency, typically between, oh, I'd say about 50 to 500 people who have two common characteristics. The first is they genuinely as an organization care about their employees. That's not BS. It's not lip service. It's not what they aspirationally want to be known for as an employer, that they genuinely care about their employees. And therefore, as a result of that, they see training, developing, coaching, mentoring, growing their employees, not as a cost, but as an investment. And how I do that is, as you said during my interest, so thank you, it's three ways. Training and developing employees, doing executive leadership, team coaching, and doing culture transformation. The only difference between, well, one of the only differences between what I do and anybody else who calls themselves a coach or a trainer I actually can prove the dollar amount value increase in productivity and performance as a result of what I do for these organizations because we measure everything. And that's my value proposition. How do you measure the improvement? By defining every single person in the organization, whether she's the CEO or a frontline customer facing service representative, we measure what's called the outputs of their job. What are the actual measurable, quantifiable things that a person performs in their role? And then we measure as a result of the training that we design and develop and implement to increase the performance. We therefore, because they're measurable metrics or outputs, we measure the impact in terms of before and after. That's great. So Ethan, we've talked a lot about relationships and how important relationships are. And also your your own specialty and your value proposition is actually all built around improving relationships. I'd love to get your take on relationships in a community framework and what your experience has been in community in terms of what works well and what supports healthy relationships. Not only during my 13 years being in, being a solo practitioner in private practice, but pretty much throughout my 35 years in, in work, this thing called work, I've always sought to create groups, to build teams, to bring people from different backgrounds and experiences together. And so one of the consistent threads through all of those experiences are the people who are most, quote unquote, successful are 
servants. They are people who do for and seek out ways to help others. And even if they're not, even if they're motivated by their own personal self-gain, unfortunately, some people are that way, you modify your approach to be of help, service, benefit to others. You ask yourself personally or professionally, what do they need from me? for me to cultivate the relationship. And I'll share a little bit of insight. I talk about whether it's Maslow or any kind of framework for relationship cultivation, there are five universal needs every human being needs. The first is when David asks Ethan what he needs, he'll tell you that's a stated need, but he may be lying. He may not know himself or he may not know his own subconscious blind spots. So when you dig deeper in the relationship growth phase what the person tells you their stated needs are, you need to extrapolate and figure out what their real needs are. Unfortunately, in most relationships, many people, majority stop there. Those are only two needs. There are five. What David, if I ask David and I try to figure out what David needs, the third level is the unstated. There's a lot in our relationship as we grow, David, that I'll learn and figure out from you as you share more and more. But that's called probing and you need empathy. You need to care enough about other people to get to that third level. So once you get past the unstated is the delight needs. It's pretty much you going out of your way to make somebody else say, oh, my goodness, you would do that for me. And again, that needs you to care enough about from the other person's standpoint. And that's the difference between sympathy and empathy, like you're talking about during a job search. Sympathy is, oh, David, I'm so sorry to hear you're in the middle of a job search. I have sympathy because I've been doing that. Empathy is actually for me to try and care enough about you to put myself in your shoes specifically to figure out how I can help you. So that fourth need is, you know, the delight need. But going down to the fifth deepest humanistic need is what we call a secret need. And that comes from maybe years and years of knowing somebody and caring to figure out what they need. Because a secret need is something often the other individual in the relationship, she or he does, or they don't even know that is part of their values, beliefs, but you know them sometimes better than they do because you've invested the blood, sweat, and tear equity. So that's my takeaway from today in terms of relationship cultivation. It works universally, whether you're hiring people, whether you're looking to get hired, start a business, land new clients, start a group. It's universal. And that's the beauty of relationships, regardless of culture, background, ethnicity, upbringing. We all have them. We certainly do. Ethan, what's your definition of community? Well, a group of individuals who are passionate about accomplishing things together. They share similar passions, interests, needs, and they collectively agree that they're putting aside their ego to collaborate together, putting aside their differences to achieve a place, a space that benefits all. That's a beautiful description. Thank you for sharing that. Ethan, we've covered a lot of territory in a short amount of time. If someone wants to go deeper with anything that you share today, or they want to learn more, access any resources you may have, or get in touch with you, where is the best place to go? Certainly send me an email. It's ethan at the 
Chazen, C-H-A-Z-I-N group.com. Or they can also go to my website and see a little bit more about me, the Chazen group.com. Ethan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and share a little bit about your background and your insights. My guest today has been business growth coach, Ethan Chazen. Thank you, Ethan, for joining us. Thank you for having me. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Ethan Chazen, we learn the importance of fostering relationships, understanding the value of seeking help, and acquiring techniques to ask even when it feels difficult. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.